It's that time of year when the nights can be very cold and crystal clear. When you can look up into the heavens and see a multitude of stars, especially if you can get out away from the city lights and have darkness around you on the earth when you can really see the heavens. Imagine then if you were living in ancient times when the psalmist, the writer of Psalm 19, was living. The sky that those ancient people would view, where there were no city lights, where the entire sky was illuminated by the amazing array of these constellations against the backdrop of darkness. It's no wonder then that the psalmist begins this 19th chapter by declaring the heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork. Looking at the night sky and a declaration of God's glory. It's not hard to imagine then this psalmist moving to the next understanding of this world, this universe that God has created. Paul Wallace, as many of you know, is our Bible study leader on Wednesday nights, our pastor of Christian adult Christian education. Paul is also an astrophysicist, and in conversations with him, in fact, in our staff meeting this past week, we were talking about the night sky and this psalm, and the first verse especially, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. And in our conversation, we together were concluding that the universe, really, as you look at the night sky, you can discern that with the ancients, it's a universe, a sky of constellations that reveals remarkable, unfathomable complexity. While at the same time, it is balanced by, in Paul's assessment, mathematical precision. We know now from someone like an astrophysicist like Paul or others who know the intricacies, or at least more of the intricacies of the world and the universe than the ancients had any clue about. Of course, they had no telescopes, but they watched the skies very carefully. And they could see this complexity and they could recognize precision, mathematical precision, to the point where, in an astrophysicist standpoint, there is the clear understanding that if gravity and the electromagnetic fields were not in the precise balance that they are, life would not exist. There's a mathematical precision to the orbits of our planets so that where we are located in our solar system is so mathematically precise, we are able to have the kind of life that we have. Yet there's the complexity too because as we move through the Bible, there tends to be a recognition of this very careful balance between what God has created, the mathematical precision of how you and I experience the world and the universe, and that balancing formula of our responsibility of caring for God's earth and one another. This is reflected very clearly in the words of God. 
in this 19th chapter of Psalms, we will look at the words of God that move through this fascinating chapter. And in fact, they're echoed even more in the 119th Psalm. So a hundred Psalms later, there will be fully eight words about the words of God. In the 19th chapter, there are five. I've got all eight listed here on this slide. So we'll go through each one and you're going to learn a little Hebrew. There'll be an exam following our lesson today. So just be prepared. Torah, Idot, Pikudim, Misvot, Mispatim, Dabar, Imra, Chukim. We don't need to say those together, but we can find the English renditions that we have translated in the 19th chapter. Torah, many of you know, of course, has been generally translated as law. But a lot of scholars now are saying that the better translation, the more accurate translation, is actually teaching. Torah includes the law, specifically from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But as you know, Torah is a broad definition of the first five books of the Bible that includes not just the law, but also the stories of faith from Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, in addition to the law contained in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So it's not just law. Scholars say the better rendition is actually teaching. That is, we learn from the stories told in these first five books known as Torah, teaching. Edot, decrees in this 19th chapter how sweet are the decrees of God from the words of God. There are not just teachings, but also decrees. Pikudim, there are precepts. Misvot, there are commandments. Misbatim, there are judgments or ordinances. These are the five words lifted out that are in this 19th chapter that the psalmist recognize as God's words spoken that give us life and boundary and hope and perspective. In the 119th Psalm, there are three additional ones. Dabar, which is literally translated as word. Imra, which is promise. And Chukim, statutes. You can imagine the ancient people, especially these ancient rabbis, looking at the sky at night and during the day, when often in that Mediterranean climate, the sky was a bright blue with clouds floating by, and it looked very similar. But then at night, there were these subtle changes in the magnificence of God's starry heaven that baffled and emboldened and made the people reassured that God was in control. There was a mathematical precision to the universe but there was also a balance. I had the great pleasure of participating in what, for lack of a better term I can give, is an off-Broadway musical. Stephen Schwartz and Children of Eden, some of you are familiar with, it was on Broadway for a while, didn't last a long time, so I can say that I participated in an off-Broadway musical because it was in our church, in Providence Baptist Church in, in Charlotte. So it was off-Broadway, in my understanding of the way these things work. 
And it was magnificent. And if you've ever heard Children of Eden, you know that Stephen Schwartz captures the complexity of the biblical rendition, but also the complexity of life as we know it. This balance between both standing in awe over God's creation and participating with awe in God's creation and how difficult that can be. It was really revealed to me in the the glorious nature of this musical, but the way it perfectly reflected the biblical understanding of creation. The very first part of the musical, let there be when God steps out, and by the way, God's name was Stephen. It wasn't Stephen Schwartz, but our God in the musical was Stephen, and he had this magnificent voice that many of us thought, well, this could really be the way God speaks. He sang magnificent, magnificently, and in let, it, let There Be, it was this back and forth where, where Stephen, the actor playing God, would sing, let there be, and then we in the chorus would re, uh, respond, let there be, and it would be back and forth, let there be, and then there was this great crescendo, let there be light. And then all the lights burst forth onto the stage, and it was this magnificent moment where you really got this idea, and it felt to me that it's not just God speaking creation into being, which is the way Genesis portrays it, And God said, let there be light. But in that moment, through Schwartz's musical, it occurred to me, wouldn't it have been cool? Maybe it was true that God not just spoke creation into being, but God actually sang creation into being. That creation came from God's song. Let there be light. And there not only was light, but the world and the universe in mathematical precision and unfathomable complexity. Well, this is reflected, honestly, not just in Schwartz's musical, but what Schwartz is doing is taking the biblical understanding of Genesis, which then moves through the rest of the Bible, the complex nature of how we live in God's world and how we participate in God's world. The mathematical precision that the psalmist felt in the 19th chapter, these words of God, and what follows in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, in the first chapter of John, there's an echo of Genesis chapter 1, this creation story in the Gospel of John chapter 1, there is another rendition of the word of God. In The beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the Greek rendition of that is the word logos, which as you go through that first chapter, you realize in John that the author is equating God's word, logos, with the word of God in Jesus. That Jesus now becomes and is the word of God, sharing with and in and through the words of God. It becomes this interesting balancing act. So all these words, the teaching, the decrees, the precepts, commandments, judgments, ordinances, word, promise, and statutes of God now become reflected and lived out in the word of God in Jesus. 
It's more complex than that, though, because what happens in God's word in Jesus now, we find in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus, as the logos, God's word lived out and among us, now becomes a vehicle for reflecting more words. In fact, the words that were read a moment ago from Luke chapter 4 included Jesus actually quoting from the scroll of Isaiah. And in fact, it's the 61st chapter of Isaiah. So what we would find then in the Old Testament is there are additional words of God, where in Isaiah 61, Isaiah, as the prophet of God, is speaking on behalf of God, speaking additional words of God that the people need to hear. It is a healing word, an important word, a word where Jesus then takes on those words and says, in your presence, these words are fulfilled. In other words, the prophet Isaiah saw in himself and then challenging the people in that exile experience in the Old Testament in Isaiah, the need for healing and becoming and being a part of God's balm in creation to help bring about a sense of hope and healing and light. Jesus, in preaching to that synagogue in Nazareth, pulls out this Isaiah passage and says, this is now now what I am going to do with you and among you. It's a fascinating movement. The spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Jesus as the word of God, sharing the words of God. But more than that, it's interesting, as our Christian journey moves forward, this fascinating balancing act begins to take place where with the words in this fourth chapter of Luke, we discover that there is a recognition from Jesus to the people then and what becomes the early church and the people there and us now that we are folded into this story. For we have the need to be healed, to be set free, to have good news proclaimed to us. We say from time to time in groups that I'm gathered with in our congregation that we are, many of us recognizing we are wounded people. In fact, sometimes I've told some of you on a Sunday morning when we're actually meeting in person, And whether it's in Fresh Start or in the sanctuary service, especially in the sanctuary service when I'm sitting on the platform and looking out, most of us come to church on a Sunday morning thinking, well, everybody else is doing well. They're smiling. They've got their nice clothes on. They're wearing their makeup. They look good. They feel good. And their life is good, but not mine. I'm hurting, and I'm embarrassed to admit it, and I don't want to say anything to anybody, but I'm hurting. And what is powerful for me is often being up on the platform and looking out and knowing that all of us are thinking that. I'm the only one in here that really needs help. I'm the only one in here that's really wounded and hurting. But in fact, those of us who are pastors in the church know that on a given Sunday morning, 30% in the congregation are like what you think you are, hurting, 
wounded, afraid, scarred, battered, uh, unsure about tomorrow. And sometimes it's an emotional moment for me looking out and seeing people I know who are struggling in their marriage or struggling in their health or struggling with uh, an issue with their child or an aging parent or uh, concerns about jobs or finances. It is an amazing moment to look out and recognize we together are wounded people. We need to be experiencing this word and words of God for healing. And the beautiful thing about being in a congregation is we can acknowledge we are wounded people, but we're healing together. We're here for a reason, not just to be among our friends, but to experience something more than we can offer ourselves. Often God's love and healing power is channeled through the people around us. They too may be hurting, but together we can be healed together. And here's the neat thing now about the words of God that become relevant and active among the people of God. This amazing recognition of the mathematical precision of God's heavens and the unfathomable complexity of how you and I are living out this world we're a part of. We recognize together we are wounded people, but we're being healed and we can offer healing to one another. For as Jesus recognized in that synagogue in Nazareth and then passes on to us, the spirit of the Lord is upon us. This is the amazing transition that takes place throughout the words of God. That these precepts and ordinances and the hopes and the dreams of God move in and through us because the Spirit of God active in us activates through us the ability to bring good news, to release the captives, to recover our our sight and regain perspective on what is important and necessary in our world and to free the oppressed. Even as we are being healed, God activates in us the ability to offer healing. It's an amazing thing where we as wounded people are being healed together and are called to heal together. The words of God for the people of God, you and me, brothers and sisters, thanks be to God. Amen.